Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And as you are turning there, I want to share with you a quote from a doctor, a doctor named Susan Coven, who practices internal medicine. And in a Boston Globe column, she wrote this. Okay, so listen to this quote as you're turning there in your Bibles. She writes, In the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. Excessive busyness. And maybe as I'm reading some of those symptoms, you're like, yes, fatigue, yes, irritability, yes, insomnia. Oh my goodness, is he describing me? That's what I have. We have excessive busyness. We live in a culture and in a world where this condition of excessive busyness is widespread. And so much so that we've even now just accepted it as as just a part of our lives. We've just accepted busyness and almost made it into a virtue. I mean, think about when someone asks you, hey, how has your week been? You almost just instinctively reply, it's been busy. It's been a crazy week, right? You almost feel like if you don't respond with it's been busy, that person's going to think you're lazy or something like that, right? You have to respond with it's been a busy week. We've accepted this. We live chaotic, busy lives. And even in our downtime, our minds are busy and racing, thinking about the worries and the cares of the next day. Even our vacations are busy, right? I mean, we work extra hard to make extra money to be able to go on a nice vacation. But then on the vacation, we've spent so much money on the vacation that we feel pressured to just squeeze every last ounce of vacationing we can out of the vacation. And so the vacation ends up being busy and stressful, and we return just as tired and busy as we were before we vacationed. We are excessively busy. And church, if your life is excessively busy and you see no end in sight, I've got a good word for you this morning from our passage that I hope will be a blessing to you. Because in our passage, we are going to see Jesus get into another conflict with the religious leaders of the day, and this time the conflict is over the Sabbath, the Sabbath. You remember, Jesus, he's been in conflicts with them throughout the book of Mark so far because he hasn't been fitting into their religious systems, the systems they've put into place, the traditions that they hold so dearly. And so in our passage, we're going to see him demonstrate and display his authority over the Sabbath. We've already seen Jesus demonstrate his authority over demons and Satan by casting them out. We've seen Jesus demonstrate his authority by forgiving people's sins, by healing disease, by cleansing leprosy, by healing a paralytic. He demonstrated his authority by calling an outcast tax collector, Levi, to be one of his followers. And then last week we saw that he did not fast according to the tradition and the systems that the Pharisees had put into place. And now this morning he is going to demonstrate demonstrate his authority over the Sabbath. And so I invite all of you, all of us who are excessively busy 
tired, distracted, and maybe even a little irritable, I invite all of us to come and enjoy some of the sweetness and the rest that is found in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So if you're there in Mark 2, let's find some rest together. If the person you're sitting next to is already sleeping, give them an elbow. Say, not that kind of rest, okay? Not that kind of rest. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Here we go. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Here are Jesus and his disciples walking through grain fields, and as they make their way, they're plucking some heads of grain, and the Pharisees accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. Well, first we need to understand the Sabbath and what it is, because the Sabbath is a big deal to Jewish people. And so the fact that the Pharisees are accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath, that is a big deal. Well, first, the word Sabbath is from the Hebrew word that means to rest or stop or cease from work. It's from the word that means to rest or stop or cease from work. And it was celebrated from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And we are first introduced to the concept of a Sabbath very early on in the Bible in the creation account. And so in Genesis chapter 2 is when we first see this concept of a Sabbath. Genesis 2 verse 2. It says, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God created everything out of nothing, By the power of his word, and then on the seventh day, he ceases, he stops, he rests, he makes nothing then into something. And here in Genesis 2, we are introduced to this concept of stopping, of ceasing. Now, God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. He didn't rest on the seventh day because he was weary or got fatigued. He doesn't, he's not like us. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get tired. But don't miss this amazing characteristic about God. By him ceasing on the seventh day, he shows restraint. He shows restraint. He doesn't do all he could do. He could have kept creating on the seventh day, but instead he stopped He ceased, he rested, he shows restraint, and he sets for us an example to follow in resting on the seventh day. And not only does he set an example for us to follow, but he points us to something greater that was to come, which we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But six days God creates everything out of nothing, and then on the seventh day he makes nothing into something, and he rests. And then we see this concept of the Sabbath later in Exodus chapter 16. We see the Sabbath again. This is when God is providing manna for his people out in the wilderness. And he tells them to gather only what they need each day and then to trust that the next day God would provide for them. But on the sixth day, he tells them to gather up twice as much so that on the seventh day they could rest. 
And then in Exodus 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And coming in at number four, we read Exodus 20, verse 8. He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It is the longest of the commandments, and it is the only commandment that starts with remember. Remember. It's as if God knew his people would forget. I mean, do not murder, do not steal, do not have any other gods before me. I mean, those are things we don't always keep, but we at least remember that those things are bad. But God knew his people would forget to stop, to rest to cease from working. And so he says, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Keep it set apart. Keep it separate from the rest of your days. God, from the beginning in creating the world, has kept one day a week set apart and separate from the others, a day for his people to rest, to stop, to cease from their work that they've been carrying out the previous six days. This was a good gift that God gave his people, a day of guilt-free resting. But the Bible doesn't go into a lot of details as to how to observe the Sabbath, except that it is a day of resting, stopping, ceasing. And so the Jewish religious leaders then added a bunch of their own rules to enforce on the people to make sure that the Sabbath was observed. They took a good thing that God gave and they made their own system and restrictions to make sure that people followed it. And as is the case most times, when human beings start messing with what God has created, things start to get messy and all out of whack. They turned what was supposed to be a blessing, they turned it into a burden on the people. And so because God had left some freedom in how to observe the Sabbath, the rabbis came up with their own system and rules to enforce on people. And some of them just got outright ridiculous, okay? And so let me share with you some of these rules that the rabbis enforced onto the people. They taught that you couldn't look into a mirror on the Sabbath because if you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it and that would be considered work. No mirrors. Couldn't look in a mirror. If you saw gray, you might be tempted to plug it. They, caught, they taught that you couldn't move furniture on the Sabbath except a ladder, but you could only move it four steps. Only four steps. They taught if you were going to spit, you could spit on a rock, but you could not spit on the ground on the Sabbath because if you spit on the ground, that could turn to mud, which is mortar, and so that is work. If you tore your garment, you were allowed to sew one stitch but no more, just one stitch. You were allowed to eat radishes on the Sabbath. I know some of you were worried about that. You were allowed to eat radishes on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them into salt because you might leave them in the salt too long and pickle them, and that would be work. That would be work. They taught you couldn't untie a knot on the Sabbath. They taught it was unlawful to wear any jewelry on the Sabbath because it would be considered carrying a burden. They taught you were not allowed to travel on the Sabbath. They defined traveling as walking more than 1,999 steps. 
If you walked 1,999 steps, you were okay, but 2,000 steps, you broke the Sabbath. And I'm not sure how they kept track of this without Fitbits or step counters or anything like that, but they somehow kept track of their steps on the Sabbath. And so here are Jesus and his disciples walking through grain fields, plucking heads of grain because they are hungry, which was not breaking God's, God's law. However, it was breaking the rabbi's system and restrictive rules about the Sabbath. And so they asked Jesus, why are you breaking our system by traveling and reaping grain? grain, excuse me. And Jesus, like he often does, he points them back to Scripture, which they are supposed to be experts of. And so look now at Mark 2, verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus points them back to 1 Samuel, a story where David, who is the anointed king of Israel, David, he's on the run at that time from Saul, and him and his men are hungry. And so he comes to the priest and asks, for something to eat, and the priest says all he has on hand is the bread of presence. Now, the bread of presence, uh, if you're not familiar with that, it was 12 loaves of bread that represented God's uh, covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. And every Sabbath, 12 new loaves of bread were baked and placed in the tabernacle, kind of representing this was a visual reminder of the communion that God had with his people and with the 12 tribes. And so every Sabbath, the 12 loaves from the previous Sabbath would be removed, and they were allowed to be eaten by the priest, and then 12 new loaves were placed in the tabernacle tabernacle. And so upon David's request for food, the priest says, hey, all I've got are these 12 loaves of bread, but only the priests are supposed to eat these. But you see, in this story, the priest understands who David is, and he understands that this is a unique situation. And so he gives them to David and his men to eat. You see, the priest understood something that the Pharisees did not. The Pharisees classically separated the words of God from the heart of God. They cared more about their rules and traditions and rituals than they did about the people. The people. And the priest understood two things. The priest in this story in 1 Samuel understood first the authority of David as the anointed king of Israel. And the second thing he understood was that although it wasn't lawful for David to eat this bread, the priest understood that God cared more about David not starving than he did about this ceremonial ritual. The priest knew that although this was breaking ritual and tradition, he was doing it to show mercy and take care of a fellow human being. He understood that the law was intended to serve people, not people serving the law. And Jesus, by pointing them back to this story in the Old Testament, is saying, hey, if David had authority to ask for the bread of presence, how much more do I have authority over the Sabbath? He says in verse 28, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus has authority over the Sabbath because he created the Sabbath, 
right? He created the Sabbath. John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus created the Sabbath. He was there in the beginning when the Sabbath was instituted. And so it's a little ridiculous for the Pharisees to question Jesus about the Sabbath. He was the one who instituted it, and he's the one who understood its purpose. It's like if people were to complain that a police officer was breaking the speed limit to catch a criminal. Or people complain that an ambulance breaks the speed limit to save someone's life. The speed limit is there to serve us and sometimes maybe annoy us. But there are times when those in authority have the right to temporarily set it aside to protect and save us. And Jesus, pointing them to this story in 1 Samuel, is trying to show them that if David had this kind of authority, how much more does the Son of Man, the Messiah, God in the flesh, how much more does he have authority over the Sabbath and how to interpret its purpose? Jesus was also trying to show them the intent for the Sabbath. Jesus was trying to show them that the intent for the Sabbath was not to burden the people. The intent of the Sabbath was to bless the people. But the Pharisees, you see, they had taken this blessing and they turned it into a burden by imposing this legalistic system. The Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. It was intended to be a blessing, a blessing that was to be remembered. Remember the Sabbath. Church, is it a blessing that you remember? Is it a blessing that you remember? Now, as followers of Jesus, we are not under the law. We no longer have to observe the Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And early Christians, they actually started gathering together on Sunday to worship together. It was called the Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then we read in Colossians 2 where Paul emphasizes that we are no longer obligated to strictly observe the Sabbath. We read this in Colossians 2 verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We should by no means feel legalistic pressure to observe the Sabbath from sundown to sundown. In Christ, you are free. In Christ, we are free, okay? Feel free to salt your radishes, okay? Go crazy, you have my permission. But if you try to use the whole, you're not allowed to move furniture on the Sabbath. If you use that to try to get out of helping someone move, that's really, that's not cool. You can't, can't take that one out of context there, okay? But the, the Sabbath should not be burdening or restricting to us. It should not be burdening or restricting to us, but, but it is still a huge blessing that God has given to us. And it would be wise to remember it. It would be wise to remember it. To have one day where we stop, we cease, we rest from work. We see it in the created order, and we are reminded of it in the Ten Commandments. But do we stop? Do we cease from our work? 
Could this be the solution to our excessively busy lives? Could this be the answer to our fatigue and our anxiety and our irritability and our depression? Now, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about sleeping five days a week. I'm talking about working hard for six days, but then having a day where you stop and you rest and you cease from your work. And let me clarify this a little bit because I think we often think incorrectly about what a day of rest can look like. It doesn't just mean a full day of laying on the couch and binging Netflix, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Sabbath. Now, certainly, uh, it might be okay every now and then to have a day like that. And also, those for young kids, okay, you know that you can't just give up on taking care of your kids and call it the Sabbath, all right? That's, that's also not okay. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the Sabbath. But remembering the Sabbath, it's not just sleeping all day. It's not just having a five-hour power nap, although those are pretty awesome. Uh, The Sabbath is ceasing from our work and setting aside a day that is different from the other six. And so gathering with God's people, the church, that is a good part of the Lord's day. It is good for your soul to be around God's people, to receive God's word, to participate with the body of Christ and worshiping God together and serving one another and serving God together. Now, I realize it might seem more physically restful to just neglect this and just stay at home and sleep in, but there is something, there is a deeper, healthier rest that is a part of getting up and gathering together and not neglecting being with God's people. And so certainly gathering together, this is a part of setting this day apart to the Lord. This is a part of our Sabbath, our ceasing from our work and our regular employment. But in addition to gathering together, are you also having times where you are finding rest, where you are just completely stopping? Whether it be Sunday afternoon, whether it be Saturday, whether it be Friday night or Monday, I don't know what it looks like, but are you having times where you are ceasing, where you are stopping, where you are showing some restraint? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Now, I think it's easy. We can blame it on our culture and the nonstop society that we live in. I think that's sort of a cop-out. So I think we need to own up a little bit more. I don't want to just say it's just culture's fault. It's just our society's fault. But let me offer up some reasons as to why we don't stop. We don't stop because of our pride. We don't stop because of our idols. And we don't stop because of our lack of faith. Okay, so let's talk about those three for a second. We don't stop because of our pride. We don't stop because of our idols. And we don't stop because of our lack of faith. First, we don't stop because of our pride. We don't stop because we think we don't have limits. We think we don't have limits. We think that we can just keep going and going. We think, and and then not only do we think we don't have any limits, we can just keep going and going, but we think that if we stop, that everything will fall apart right? We think that the world won't won't be able to keep continuing on without our contribution to it. And here's the cool thing that happens when you observe a Sabbath, when you stop, when you rest, when you cease. This is the cool thing. Our pride is squelched because you'll see when you stop, when you stop, the world keeps moving on. 
The sun still rises, the sun still sets, and life continues on, even without your contribution to it. And so as a result of observing a time of rest and ceasing, our pride gets chipped away at little by little, and our humility starts to grow. So last September, when we first started gathering as a church, something happened that I believe was such a blessing to me as well as to our church. And many of you know, uh, know this, you've been praying for me about this, but two weeks into the start of the church, I had an extreme case of vertigo. I never had vertigo before, but two weeks into the church, I woke up on a Monday morning and everything was just spinning out of control. I could not get out of bed. And so I couldn't get out of bed, and so the whole week I just pretty much had to lay flat and do nothing. And my mom reminded me of Psalm 23, which we read earlier. It took on a whole new meaning when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I just had to lay there flat. Now me and my prideful self, I was panicking because here we were two weeks into launching kind of this new church. And of course, in my pride, I felt like there was so much that I had to be getting done for the church that week. So many people I wanted to be meeting with, so much time I needed to, to prep to teach and things that I wanted to update on the website and get word out about the church. And I felt like if I don't do this, then things will just fall apart. Surely, if I wasn't able to do everything I wanted to do this week, then things were going to fall apart. But something beautiful happened in that week. Some would say nothing happened that week, but something beautiful happened in my heart that week when nothing happened. Because of my vertigo, I just had to lay there. And guess what? The world kept going on. The church kept continuing on. And my pride was chipped away at little by little. And in a similar way, when you rest, when you show restraint, when you realize you have limits and you Sabbath, it chips away at your pride. Well, also, when you, when you observe a Sabbath, it breaks down those idols of achievement and accomplishment. It breaks down the idols of achievement and accomplishment. Many of us, we want to achieve and accomplish things. And this desire, this, this idol of achievement can take over our lives. Now, nothing's wrong with achieving or accomplishing things. It's good to achieve and accomplish things. But it is wrong when good things become ultimate things, okay? That is when idolatry starts coming into play. So when your achievements and your accomplishments become the ultimate things that you are serving, and when your achieving and accomplishing things becomes your ultimate source of satisfaction, then they have become idols. But when we Sabbath, when we rest, when we stop, we set aside achieving and accomplishing, and we just enjoy being with God and with his people. You watch those idols start to fall in your life when you stop and you rest. Well, when you observe a Sabbath, it also strengthens your faith. It strengthens your faith because it helps you trust in God's future grace. It helps you trust in God's future grace. The discipline of stopping is so difficult because we worry. We worry, God, what if I don't have the time or the energy that I'm going to need to do this tomorrow? Right? We worry if the manna is going to be there, so to speak, tomorrow. But when you stop, 
When you stop, your faith is strengthened because you grow in your trust that God will provide what you need tomorrow. And so when you stop, you grow in your ability to trust that God's future grace will be sufficient. It's sufficient for us today, and it will be sufficient for us tomorrow. And so church, just because a Sabbath observance is no longer an obligation for us, let us not neglect this invitation to enjoy the blessing that God has graciously provided to us. And if you're not used to stopping, if you're not used to resting or having a time that is set aside for that, maybe start small. Maybe start with a six-hour block uh, somewhere in your weekend. That Those six hours, you're going to stop. You're going to rest. You're going to cease. And I'm confident that once you get a little taste of that, you will want those six hours to be 12 hours. You will want those 12 hours to be 24 hours. But I believe that most of our busyness, our fatigue, our anxieties, and our despair would be relieved if we remembered to Sabbath, to stop, to rest. Look now at, uh, back at Mark chapter 3. And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Here again, Another conflict about the Sabbath. Jesus is in the synagogue and he shows compassion on a man with a disability. And then Jesus poses a question to the Pharisees. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? And they were silent. They were silent. And this angered and grieved Jesus because he saw their hearts were hard. That while they might have known the words of God, they were nowhere close to the heart of God. Here the religious leaders are so caught up in their system that they have forgotten to love people. People. I mean, just compare and contrast what they are upset with Jesus for doing and then what they are going to go do on the Sabbath. They are upset with Jesus for doing good, having compassion and healing someone, Contrast that with now they are going to go plot to kill him on the Sabbath. And they don't see a problem with that. They don't see the problem with that. If they had truly loved God and loved people, they would have celebrated with this man that he had been healed, that he could now have his hand back, he could use his hand. But instead they are going to plot to kill Jesus. And in doing so they reveal just how far from God they really are. And this is my concern for the church as well. This is my concern. My concern, I'm not concerned with or worried or afraid of opposition or persecution from outside the church. We know that as Christians we will be persecuted and the church has always flourished under persecution. No, that's not my main concern about outside opposition. My main concern is that church people would have hard hearts towards the Lord. 
My main concern is that church people would have hard hearts towards the Lord. That the continual hearing of God's word without applying it, without conviction, without repentance, without confession, that that continual hearing without doing anything with it, that it would cause us to have calloused hearts that don't love God and don't love people. I'm concerned that church people would hear the word and not respond to it, and in doing so, become calloused and not love well, not love God, not love people, and yet have a false assurance that they're right with God because they prayed a prayer, they raised a hand, they made a decision. My concern is that people would hear the word but never see its purpose was to lead them to Jesus. My concern is that people are finding comfort and peace in American Christianity's traditions and rituals, and yet they do not have hearts for God. We must guard against this and pray that we would not harden our hearts, but that God would soften our hearts and cause us to be responsive to his word and that he would give us hearts that love God and love people well. Church, not only does Jesus demonstrate his authority over the Sabbath, not only does he reveal the intent of it, that it was intended to be a blessing, not a burden, but church, he also, he also, he fulfills it. He fulfills the Sabbath. You remember Colossians 2 that I mentioned earlier. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. I'll read it again. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath was always intended to point us to Christ and the rest that we find in him. You see, before we heard the good news of the gospel, we worked and worked and worked to be right with God. We tirelessly tried to do enough good things so that we would be approved, so that we could be accepted, so that we could be right in God's eyes. But the more we learned about God, the more we realized just how far we fell short of his glory and his holiness. And so like hamsters on a wheel, apart from Christ, we have run and run and run to try to be our best selves, to try and be all that we could be so that God would accept us, so that God would approve us, so that we could be right in his eyes. This is why there is something within us apart from Christ that knows we are not right with God and our hearts are restless, tired, and exhausted. Church, human hearts have been longing for rest. They've been longing for rest. St. Augustine, one of his famous quotes said this, he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find its rest in thee. You see, the Sabbath is, yes, a blessing for us to be enjoyed, but it is also pointing us to something better. It's pointing us to something better. It was a shadow of the things to come, and it finds its fulfillment in Christ. 
Jesus is, yes, Lord of the Sabbath, but he also is the Sabbath. He is the true and better Sabbath. Jesus came to live the life of perfect obedience that we failed to live to fulfill the law on our behalf so that by grace through faith, he could give us his righteousness, his rightness with God. He died on a cross paying the penalty for our sin and releasing us from the power of sin. And on the cross, he said, it is finished, paid in full. The work has been done. Salvation has been accomplished. The righteous requirement has been fulfilled. Jesus then rose from the dead, and he's now calling a people to find rest in him. And when you put your faith, your trust, your reliance, your dependence in Christ and his work for your salvation, your restless heart finds rest. Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 11. It says, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. Let us strive to cease from our works and to find our rest in Christ's work alone for salvation. The seventh day was pointing to the rest that God would one day, once and for all, provide his people in Christ. Followers of Jesus should be a restful people. Not a lazy people, but we are a people who are not burdened by the Sabbath but are free to enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath. And not only are we a people who enjoy the blessings of a Sabbath, but we are a people who see the person that the Sabbath was preparing us for. The Sabbath was preparing us to find our ultimate rest in Christ. And where we can stop in Christ is where we can stop this endless pursuit of self-righteousness but we can rest in the righteousness of Christ. And in concluding this morning, I want to share with you a story that Dr. Tim Jones, who uh, he's a professor at Southern, he's one of the elders at Sojourn, he wrote a a book along with Daniel Montgomery called a book, uh, sorry, the book is titled Proof, okay? Uh, That's the title of the book. And he shares this story in the book about uh, his adopted daughter. And so his adopted daughter had been previously adopted into another family before they had adopted her. And in this other family, she never really felt like she was integrated into the rest of the family. And so this little girl in the previous family she was adopted in, that family would take their family to Disney World every year. But the family would only take their biological children, and they never took her. And she perceived that it was something she had done, like she just wasn't good enough, uh, she hadn't obeyed uh, enough rules to be able to go with them, she, and she, so she tried you know, tirelessly each year to try to be good enough to go on this trip with them. And so when Dr. Jones and his wife adopted this girl into their family, and they heard this story, it broke their hearts, and so they quickly planned a trip to Disney World where they would take uh, their newly adopted daughter. 
But leading up to the trip, this girl's behavior just started to get really, really bad. She started lying. She was stealing. She was breaking all the house rules. She was being mean to the other siblings. And Dr. Jones pulls her aside one day to talk and is like, hey, what's, what's going on? Why are, why are you acting out all of a sudden? And she says, I know, I know. I know what you're going to say. I haven't been good enough to go to Disney World. You see, she had already tried to be good enough in her past family. She had worked really hard to try and deserve to go to Disney, but it was never good enough, and so she was just tired of it. She was tired of striving for the acceptance and approval that she thought she was never going to get, and so she gave up. She decided just not to even try to be good. She was tired of it. And Dr. Jones said, no, 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 no. We're not leaving you behind. Is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded yes. He said, are you a part of this family? She nodded yes. He said, then you're going with us. There might be some consequences to help you remember what's right and wrong, but you're part of the family, and so you're going with us. And after the last night of their trip to Disney, as Dr. Jones was tucking in his daughter, she said, Daddy, she said, Daddy I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. Church, that is the gospel. That is the rest that we have been looking for. That is the rest that Jesus gives. That is the rest that the Sabbath was pointing us to. We are not saved by our good works or accomplishments. We are saved because of God's grace. We are saved because we are his. We are in Christ. And the Sabbath prepares us for and proclaims the rest that we have in Christ. Pray with me. God, we are tired. We have tried to work our way to be right in your eyes. And God, it's exhausting. But we praise you, Jesus, and thank you, Jesus, that you came to do the good work on our behalf and that we can ultimately rest in you. And so God, I ask that you would help us fully embrace and trust and know this rest that you have provided for our weary souls. May we be refreshed as we remember the rest that we have in you. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen.